You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. Today my guest is the great Elena Scopettos. Yeah. Thanks for talking. Oh, thanks for having me. I, uh, um, I noticed in your Magnet bio that you studied... Uh, physical acting and mask work in Italy. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Was it that? was uh, my junior year of college, uh, and I studied abroad there. It was a, a program called the Academia dell'Arte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was um, physical theater, commedia, mask, clown. It was like this whole thing of all these different uh, like physical ways of performing, and it was like absolutely the best time of my life. What? How long were you in Italy for? I was in, uh, the program was three months, um, and then I stayed an extra week in Italy and did another, like, week and a half in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Do you speak Italian? No. Oh, my God. Oh, I was, I was, like, the least I've ever applied myself to something in my entire life was learning Italian. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was really bad at it. Uh, um... But you got by no problem. Yeah, well, the town I was in, it was in a town called Arezzo, which mm-hmm. was uh, 40 minutes south of Florence. Um, and a lot of people, enough people spoke English, and I was always with, like, a friend that spoke enough Italian that it was it was never a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the program like, out of curiosity? I'm, it, that seems terrifying and <laughs> wonderful and fascinating. To, it to it was. I remember, uh, I remember the night before uh, I, like, got on the plane to go there, I was just, like, cursing myself, being like, why on earth did you decide to do this? This is terrifying. You're not naturally wonderful at making friends. This is going to be the worst. Mm. Um, and then I got there and the first few days were like fun and fine. And then I just like really dug into it. Um, it was like, it was a really intensive program. So the first three weeks were just classes every day in voice and movement and acrobatics and things like that. Uh, and then after three weeks, we started like heavily doing commedia and mask work. Uh, and then we also had Italian class, which I didn't do great at. Um, Italian language class? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we had um, an intro, like a philosophy and art class, which was like, int- had some interesting stuff, but also like I was more focused on the theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's So I have a really biased, uh, unfair view of comedia based on nothing whatsoever but my own ignorant <laughs> yeah. prejudice. Um, and actually I spent my uh, Christmas break, a, a small chunk of Christmas break, I spent reading a bunch of first-hand accounts of Comedia. Uh, oh, um, cool. Like fragments of essays that yeah. have survived from, from different practitioners. Mm-hmm. And there's some really wonderful stuff in it. There's some surprisingly modern uh, um, advice and and getting yeah. into the problems of, of performance that are very, very topical to our problems of performance and mm. the same cast of characters that are pissing these people off or the sure. same people that are pissing us off today. And... Yeah. and um, uh, so, so from what I was reading, it sounds really lively, but the little bit of exposure I've had to it has just made me angry. <laughs> and, and so, so take me through the process of learning comedian and performing comedian. Sure. So that I think it, granted this was like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So forgive me if it takes me a second to like figure it out. Sure. But so the first thing we did was really do like body stuff. Mm-hmm. So there are like however many stock characters, probably like six really main stock characters so we went over their physicality and really enveloping like what they lead with and what their body looks like what you would dress like as this person like one of the stock characters is Pantalone Mm -hmm. and he's like a miser he has a very forward 
pelvis and a very hunched back, which is like what my go-to now when I play an old person. Uh, and he would, he like loves money. So he'd always have like a little sack in front of his, uh, penis that had like coins in it and it was also like there was so much like phallic stuff in commedia too so that was like his balls so he always had like a little sack that he would hold so it was like this hunched people can't see it but i'm doing it right now it's like this hunched it it is immediately conjuring the image yeah yeah yeah. so it was like it was uh, enveloping the body first um and then they had a bunch of masks there that we would like try on and play those characters um, so you would, we would put the masks on and then we started doing, um, like commedia scenes, like kind of writing our own, mm-hmm. which were like oddly similar to sketch. Like there was, it's like there, you know, the, the main characters, there's like, um, there's Arlecchino who was described to us. Fun fact, I don't know if you know this in Italy, they're obsessed with the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. They really love the Simpsons. Uh, and Arlecchino is like Homer Simpson. He's okay. like of the earth, very, uh, very dumb, very base. Uh, so he, and he's usually like the main character in a, in a commedia piece. He's always like messing up and trying really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's Capitano who's like this like guy, like chest really wide open, um, like high status, uh, with a big long nose. That's like, he's powerful. He's got a, a a big old, uh, wiener. Um, Dottore who's really smart and very fat, uh, and usually like drunk and stupid, uh, Zmeraldina, who's the female, uh, one of the female characters, and she's she's also a servant, but she's very smart and very witty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the lovers, who are are usually very stupid as well, and lead with like their chests and are all about you know finding love, and they don't wear masks. Mm-hmm. So we would take you know these stock characters and create situations. What what uh, our instructor Michele Bottini did with us was he had us use the. Um, the like framing device of Romeo and Juliet. So that was something we were all as theater students familiar with. So we would take Romeo and Juliet and use those characters and apply them to the commedia characters like Romeo and Juliet with the lovers. Um, Mercutio was like a clown, like an Arlecchino. Uh, Tybalt was like a Capitano uh, and apply those characters to Romeo and Juliet and create like our own scenes, mm-hmm. like Lottie's that became like funny little skits. Which sounds really similar to just improvising with an ensemble where you find yourself in a character and you end up replaying the plot to an episode of the wire or something. Sure. Yeah. Just, you you kind of like access anything that you have that's familiar, but filter it through these, these new choices. Yeah. Through like a different device. Yeah. I, okay. So, so here's my, uh, uh, totally prejudiced view on comedia. (laughs) You're so prejudiced about comedia. (laughs) Based on nothing, based on never doing it and never really having seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it to me it, it's the kind of like inaccessibility of these archetypes there's some there's like uh this kind of like reverence for irreverent characters mm-hmm. uh, uh that like immediately turns me off and it, like it, it, what it is is that kind of like museum quality of like yeah. having to appreciate the artistry behind the creation of this comedy mm-hmm. what i was reading uh uh which i thought was pretty interesting some of the characters would would like the name would be let's say like um uh a pantalone mm-hmm. this is not an actual fact but let's say pantalone there might have been like an italian actor in the 15th century named pantalone who created that character yeah. in like a small town and the character took on uh, uh, and became really huge. And then other people would begin imitating it and naming it after that actor. So there are some characters in the mix of commedia that are actually uh, um, th- 
the archetypes of the original actors that mm. created them, which I love because that would be like there being like an Ilana character yeah. who everybody just does Ilana's character now because she mm-hmm. speaks so directly to, you know. But what was cool and what I was reading was how similar so much of it sounded to the way that we improvise now. If you get rid of some of the local references, the basic thing of like the stuck up jock who's kind of a dummy but is overfilled with confidence yeah. or the sincere but stupid lovers yeah. or the the horny miser character who's full of shit. Mm-hmm. It, it, just, it sounds very Simpson-like and very much... Exactly like what we do, which is just exaggerate the stuff that you know with a kind of cynical attitude to it. Yeah. Sorry. Well, what was, what was nice about it is like, yeah, they are these archetypes and that, you know, I think when we started or when I started doing it, I felt like, oh, this is going to be very, um, like, I, I feel like there's not a lot of choices that I can make because this is how this character is played. Mm-hmm. But it's like once you have what the scene is and what your character is doing, then you can have fun with like specificity. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's very similar to improv to me is like, I have played like a dumb jock a thousand times, but I think all of them are pretty different in like what scenario they're in and like what they want in that moment. And what are the specifics of that character? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, When I was talking with um, Pat May a couple of months ago, he said that you, uh, it's um, a lie. It was a nice compliment. Whatever. Oh, okay. That was a good thing. Oh, great. That's nice. He said that you forced him to step up his game because he would, when you guys first met and started working together, uh, uh, he would write material and then you would play roles in it and what you would bring to it would be so much better than anything he ever put on the paper. Mm. And and that you're so specific as an actor that you make things work that he didn't see when he first wrote it. So how do you, when you're approaching a script, when you're handed material, uh, uh, what is your approach to making specific kind of choices to make it pop off the page? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing I'll do when I'm like handed a sketch script is just kind of read it. I think the one thing I learned, I I went to school for theater and acting and probably the, the one big thing I got from that program is like putting as much as yourself into everything as you can. Mm -hmm. So I think when I initially get a script, unless there's like sometimes at the beginning of sketches, they'll be like, okay, you're playing Miranda and there's like a character description right before she enters of like Miranda is a, uh, and like an asshole with a really nasally voice who only cares about money. And then you can take that and, and use it to put in. But sometimes there's not, sometimes it's just like a straight script and you're reading and discovering as you're going along. Um, so I think the first thing I always try to do is just put as much as myself and as much like life as I can put into the script just as myself reading it and Mm -hmm. then once I know what the sketch is and move more with it and like do it on my feet it's it's more of like who I'm working with like who's in the sketch like it was it's so great working with Delisle and Pat because like we have a nice chemistry and Mm -hmm. I trust them and they push me as well to like make better choices to make things funnier but it's not I don't think it's like me inventing specifics as much as is me trying to serve the script as best as possible Mm -hmm. and trying to make choices that are going to make this as believable as possible while still being an insane Pat May sketch. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, go back for a second to, to uh, how you started improv and how you started comedy. So you studied acting at uh, Marymount? Yeah. Marymount Manhattan college. What brought you to that? Was it like, are, are you a lifelong actor? No, I, uh, I think I, I, my first performance was like as a singer, mm-hmm. uh, in, in elementary school, I, I like sang some, we were in choir class and the dire- the director was like, we're all going to sing the Star Spangled Banner as solos. So anyone who wants to do that, do it. And my friend pushed me to do it. And it was like an aha moment of like, I 
love this attention while singing. Mm. Uh, so I was doing that for a while. And then in high school, I auditioned for the plays and really fell in love with that. And by the end of high school, I was like, I think I want to do acting more than singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just started auditioning for colleges and I got into Marymount and I really thought it would be awesome to go to school in the city. So I accepted uh, Marymount's offer of taking me. And yeah, I think I, I think that's just how it happened. It was kind of like I always loved performing since elementary school, and it just kind of evolved from like singing to acting to comedy. Can you talk a little bit about um, uh, kind of what you got out of acting school versus what you get from improvising versus what you get from from doing other people's sketches versus what you get from having to create your own material? I, I'm always curious about how... How uh, applicable some of the stuff in school really is in a realistic mm-hmm. setting when you actually have to be out on a stage and, and making choices and figuring stuff out. I'm curious how much of what you learn in your education translates to that versus, well, I, what was your experience in college? Yeah, I mean, my experience in college was like, I, I think I went in having been having done well in high school, but then you get to college and it's, it's all people that did really well in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, studying abroad and going to Italy and doing that program really helped me a lot with like acting and performing in general, just kind of opening me up and relaxing me on stage. Um, so before that, I think I was still kind of tight and like, like locked on stage and didn't develop much in my first two years. Mm Uh, And then after studying abroad, I came back for my senior year and was just like, that's when I started doing sketch comedy. So I don't know how much I got from the acting training at Marymount and not because it wasn't a good program. I just think I wasn't in a place where I was receptive to that kind of training. Mm -hmm. I think the best thing I took out of that is just how to be a a believable person as much as possible on stage, which I I also think has helped me a lot in sketch and improv is just like being a person that seems real. Mm -hmm. And, and is that just a question of letting yourself off the hook from needing to perform and needing to kind of show off these skills and and letting yourself breathe and and seem dimensional? Or or is that a question of learning a bunch of techniques Uh, like, this is going to sound like a cynical question. I don't mean it to. Is it is it learning a series of tricks to create the illusion of believability, or is it learning to relax and be open so that you let yourself actually be a living person on stage? I, I think it's the latter, yeah. at least for me. I mean, I, I'm sure there are actors that are that are doing the former and and are able to just create that on a dime without it actually being authentic. Um, but for me, it was more about just doing stuff and learning how to, how to relax and just kind of be myself as much as possible on stage without Mm -hmm. feeling like I had to perform or like I had to hide behind anything. What, what do you do when you're, when you're trying to access yourself, but then you're confronted with maybe a scene that has emotional weight to it that is kind of outside your realm of experience? Um, I think that that has so much to do with imagination. Mm -hmm. Like I have a pretty... I think I have a pretty vivid imagination. Like I kind of live a lot in my head. So it's easy for me to, to imagine like in acting, there's a thing of, uh, what if, like you play the what if of a situation of like, well, what if I was, you know, a a woman who was married for 10 years and got divorced and you just really try to let that sink in. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I can't think of a time where something's come up where I've been like, I don't know what that feels like 
for the, for the most part, like I can't think of a specific time Mm -hmm. that I haven't been able to just imagine what that could potentially feel like or pull from like another experience that I feel might be comparable. Do you approach acting in scripted theater differently than you approach acting in sketch comedy? Um, maybe I should, but I don't think I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think I take sketch, uh, too seriously, but then I'm like, no, I don't. Cause all I, all I like write is like, I end every sketch with a fart. So yeah. it's like, I'm not taking it too seriously. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I, I think, uh, integrity is a big thing with me. Like I always try to think of that with my comedy of, of being like, don't go out there and like phone it in and have that be the joke. Like take it seriously, like make them believe it and make them laugh harder because of that. How do you prepare yourself before you go out to do like, are you thinking of the moment before your scene? Are you thinking about emotional preparation? Are you thinking about the audience's takeaway from this? How, how do you put yourself in the right mindset to go out there and give it everything you have? Usually I'll do um, like a little bit of just vocal warm-ups, just so like that instrument is kind of connected and ready to to be loud in, in the theater and in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not thinking about the moment before. I'm more thinking about just what the first, you know, what the sketches I'm about to step out for, what that character is, um, and, and really just being receptive to the audience. I think that's, that's probably a, a big difference between sketch and theater is theater is like, you're trying to make, you're trying to like change the temperature of the room and mm-hmm. you're trying to make something happen on stage. And you're, you're doing that a little bit with sketch, but with sketch, it's more like you're trying to please this audience. You're trying to, to do something to them, which is elicit laughter. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting difference I, I like that way of putting it of changing the temperature of the room with comedy it almost feels a little bit more like you're trying to kind of ignite the room like yeah the room's already full of gas and you're trying to get that spark yeah, that just, just burns it all up exactly yeah I, I i have a really nice memory uh of performing um i've, I've talked about this probably too much on this podcast <laughs> but uh very briefly i was in a, a touring company that performed you know, on a cruise ship and we would do, uh, uh, twice a week, uh, the big sketch show on the main stage. And one of my favorite memories is just what my brain would do when the lights went out, because you, you then think ahead the next six steps and you think ahead to the next three sketches that are taking place and where you have to be and when you have to take your tie off and when you have to smear chocolate syrup on your face or whatever it is. And it's this very kind of mechanical left brain step-by-step process until you get your butt in a seat and the lights come up. And then it's the greatest feeling in the world, the way that your brain just shifts into, you've prepared every line that you're supposed to get into at the top of the scene, lights come up and then you're in this character. And that way of thinking stops until the lights go down and then your brain comes back online to map out the next few steps. There's something about feeling your brain work so efficiently. Yeah. When and the having... back and forth between the two worlds. It's great, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a nice way of putting it. I like, um, yeah, I like, I like sitting in the chair and like having rehearsed enough and knowing, like knowing what you're doing to just be able to have the lights go up and just be like, I'm going to do the sketch and I'm confident about it. And I know what I'm doing and I don't have to think about, you know, how I'm going to get that wig on, on time, on time backstage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm just doing this and that's what I'm doing right now. And then all of a sudden the lights are out and it's, you're in a totally different space of like that, that wig's not going to get on. It's just not going to get on. Yeah. Uh, do you have a preference between, uh, written or improv? Um, that's a good question. Probably. I probably prefer sketch and like written stuff mm-hmm. just because, um, 
for me, I, I'm able, I think the, the most important thing in comedy is probably being confident. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a hard thing to develop. And it's why it like separates like amazing performers from people that are not yet amazing and will become amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just, I just feel more confident in sketch because I'm like, I, I know my lines, I trust this material and we've worked it out. Whereas in improv, you don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm not like, I haven't been doing it long enough that I'm like so confident about it that it's going to go well. Yeah. It's, it's still like the scary thing. There are, I find that there's a little bit of kind of planning ahead and improv that's useful. Mm. It, it, like in the same way that you're, that you're thinking about putting yourself in the right headspace to deal with a, 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 a script to prepare yourself emotionally for, yeah. I find that it's useful to prepare yourself emotionally for a show an improv show or, or to prepare yourself emotionally for, for the group that you're going to be performing in or for the, for the venue that you're going to be performing in or, you know, um, but there are so many variables when you're improvising that sometimes you can kind of prepare yourself for the wrong variable mm-hmm. and, and then you show up and you find that you're ready to do a show. That's not the show that you're doing that yeah. night. And, and if you don't have that ability to instantly let it go and kind of not care in a really you know energetic way, um, it can really fuck with your self-esteem. Yeah. And that's the shittiest feeling of all when your self-esteem is on stage with you. Oh boy. Yeah. Nothing, it's a heavy bag to carry. It is. And I don't know where it manifests for you, but for me, it immediately goes to my mouth and my, and my vocal cords, my throat gets tight and my tongue feels thick. And I'm mm-hmm. really aware of, of my cheeks feeling very tense. And I know that like, Oh, this isn't me performing right now. This is my, my lack of self-esteem. <laughs> It's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure the audience eats it up. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I think it, um, for me, it comes through in like my shoulders, like I'll, I'll get very tense and kind of hunch forward. And it's, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I can't pinpoint this and I, I, if it's something I can figure out, then I'll be much better at improv. But sometimes before shows, I'll just get this feeling of like, I think it's just like an energy thing and what mood I'm in that day of like, sometimes I just know I'm going to have a good show Mm -hmm. because I'm just feeling light and feeling like anything can happen and it's not going to bother me. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the day will go by and I'll just feel like, no, like I feel heavy today and I feel like I'm not like, I'm going to be thinking too much. Like I'm not going to be living in my whole body. I'm just going to be in my head and I'm going to be tense and not, and not a good partner for my teammates. I used to be very superstitious about feeling good the day of a show. Yeah. I kind of felt like if I was in a good mood, that was a sure sign of disaster for the (laughs) night, but it turns out to be a load of bullshit. Yeah. There, I think that early on you can be kind of overly confident and you can confuse feeling good with being prepared. Mm -hmm. And, and then when you get out there and you find that you're not really prepared or you weren't really paying attention or, or you're not really attending to you kind of step on stage and assume a response from people that you don't then immediately get. And then you Mm -hmm. kind of tense up. That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Um, but over the last couple of years, I've, I've kind of given up one superstition after another. And it totally is like, I know exactly what you mean. There are times when you just kind of are confident that no matter what happens tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm in a playful mood. Yeah. And I'm just kind of prepared to go with anything. I'm feeling very elastic and my mm. brain is just very sharp. Things are things are coming out right. And, and almost always when you're feeling that way, it turns out to be true. Uh, almost always. When you're feeling that shitty, heavy, like lead feeling or you're overthinking stuff, I find that it's usually 50-50. Mm. There, there are times where it, it's true, like I am moving really slowly. 
but then there are other times where I kind of going into a show knowing that I'm probably not at 100% today and I'm really preoccupied. Weirdly enough, having admitted that and having kind of lowered my sights for the show mm. actually makes for a better show sometimes. Yeah, I've I've had that too, like the the opposite effect of, of being like, I know this isn't going to be a good show. And then at the end of it, I'm like, it was wonderful. That yeah. was so great. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to kind of pull myself out of that lead-like place where I just feel like, ugh. I don't like I don't know what it is and I don't know what warm up I can do or what I can do to try and like open myself up more and yeah. and feel like I'm going to knock it out of the park for this one or even just feel like it's not like it's not about feeling any certain way it's just about whatever's happening on stage and I can't pre like I can't judge that before it happens yeah. like there's nothing that's going to happen before the show that's going to affect what happens on stage Yeah. Do you do you find that warming up b- beforehand helps you with that kind of stuff? Like, do you have different warm-ups lined up to help you, like, uh, uh, control your emotional life? Like with certain things? Not not really. I've, I, what I get more out of warming up is just connecting with, like, my team and connecting yeah. with the people I'm working with. It doesn't, it never does much for for myself of, like, oh, like, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm kind of in my head, so I'll do this physical thing. It'll take me out of it. Like, if I'm in my head, I'm in my head and, like you know, doing a, a mirroring exercise isn't going to get me out of it necessarily, but at least it will connect me with the people that I'm working with. And that's, that's much more important than whatever like bullshit I'm going through at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think it's way more important to just do something together Yeah, and not a mirroring exercise. Yeah. I, I there's only one thought I ever have during mirroring exercises, which is this is stupid. <laughs> what, what am I getting out yeah. of this? I, that, I, and that's a shitty thing to admit. Cause I've had some wonderful teachers swear by the mirrors. Yeah. But all I ever think is what, how, how does this apply to anything I'm doing when I'm actually on stage? Yeah. Oh, all I'm thinking is like, I hope he doesn't go to the floor. I hope yeah. we don't wind up on the floor. During and he this. will, <laughs> yeah. he's going to. Yeah. Oh, just wind up rolling around. I'm like, oh, this isn't helping. <laughs> there, there's an interesting thing when I'm feeling that leaden thing uh, on stage that partly it's a thing of kind of admitting beforehand that this is probably not going to be my finest hour tonight. Yeah. Which I find kind of grounding. There's something to kind of acknowledging that, like, it's okay. If this show tonight is a B... That's fine. Some, you know, it's funny. Probably one of the best improv things I've ever heard was before my uh, my one hundred and one show at UCB. I took an intensive with Will Hines, mm-hmm. and right before the show, he said to all of us, "He was like, look, uh, you're you're going to do about eighty percent of what you're capable of, and that's enough. Yeah. So just trust that. That's fine." And yeah. it was just that's something I've tried to carry with me. Of like, eighty percent is a good grade. Good if enough. You, if you're doing eighty percent, that means you're in the very upper tier of improvisers in America. Yeah. yeah. Like 80% is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you're feeling that thing, whether it's nerves or whether it's just, you know, your brain is not operating or, you know, emotionally there's some kind of blockage inside or physically you're just like not, you're just like not with it. You're hazy. Yeah. There, there is this dangerous thing where you begin to fear that you're not going to be giving a hundred percent and then you push to give 110 percent and, and forget it. You're at the total opposite of relaxation. You're, you're, it's like forcing out a shit when you're constipated. Oh boy. The best that you can do is kind of blow a gasket and, and feel even, yeah, Yeah. the, the kind of comedic version of a hemorrhoid. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's the only thing that you can expect, and mm-hmm. it's going to be that much worse because then you're out there in front of everybody looking like you're trying way too hard. I know, which is like my nightmare yeah. of like feeling like I'm on stage and I'm like just look staring at everyone waiting for that laugh to happen. Yeah. That's always like, yeah, that's that's when I know a show is going God awful is when I say a line and I'm like saying it just waiting for that laugh and it doesn't come and you're just like, get out of here. Like, don't I, I especially when I find myself in those places where it's like I'm not feeling as 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 light and, and funny and silly and ready to play as I want to be those. What I try to do to compensate for that is just be like, OK, I'm going to be like baseline reality girl right now and just try to make things feel real and be like a real person in these scenes and connect with my scene partner and and see what we come up with. I'm not going to go out as like Lord fucking tin and make poop jokes. Yeah. Although I will be writing that this evening. That is Lord fucking things a pretty safe (laughs) bet. I know. I know. I'm really trying to, because I feel like I definitely gravitate more towards characters and I'm trying to right now I'm working on, not definitely not straight manning, but playing closer to myself, which is just not, it's not my comfort zone necessarily. I just am so much more comfortable, like putting on a voice and a physicality and playing through that. Um, so I, I feel like unless it's coming up organically or there's a character that's called for that I can come in, if I'm just going out and like talking like this and being the crazy lady, then I'm, I'm phoning it in or Mm. I'm not playing authentically. What is it about character work that is it? What is it about that that excites you? It, it, it this is going to sound like a way more personal question than it is. <laughs> Does it give you the ability to hide when you're on stage, or is it simply the thing that it gives a kind of freedom or permission for your brain to kind of go to all kinds of places that it can't go when you're representing yourself up there? Well, I think I think like one kind of informs the other. I think it it is like a, a form of hiding that. And I feel like that does sound like a bad thing, but I feel like that can be a really good thing, like masking yourself in a character and showing like a different perspective can be a really exciting thing for an audience to see as opposed to like eight people just playing themselves. Um, But I think it's, it's hiding and then through that, like opening up this world and exploring a character that you know, it's, it's feels like more of a discovery, you know, Mm -hmm. like when things, when I'm playing close to myself, like things will be discovered, but not, it's it's rare for me to just say something out of left field that I'm like, I don't know where that came from because it's like, I, it's coming from me. I'm a lot, there's a lot of me right now, Mm -hmm. but when I'm playing like a character, I'll, I'll fall into like a physicality or we'll say something or something will come up that I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from, but this is, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. Has that always been true for you or is that something that you've progressively kind of put together over the years? I think, I think it's kind of always been true, but I haven't, I haven't known how to like work with that or or exactly why I was gravitating towards a certain kind of play. But I think now, like, especially with doing sketch and improv, it's become more obvious to me of like what, like what I gravitate more towards and why and what I have fun doing. Yeah. There, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking of in terms of like hiding on stage. Like I, that's, I feel my best. Well, it, I, I, it's weird because I'm I'm a big attention hog, mm. as are we all. Yeah. But I hate attention. Mm. If that makes sense. No, I, I. If you're saying what I think you're saying, I'm the same way. I want attention when I want it, and I don't want attention when I don't want it. I feel like everybody should be listening to what I have to say all the time, but I resent when people pay me attention. <laughs> yeah. And so there's something you're afforded the opportunity on stage to have 100 percent of people's attention. 
but for me, it almost feels like hiding in plain sight. Mm. It, 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 and it, I, I tend to play pretty close to my own voice. So there's this weird thing where I feel like I'm hiding in my own skin. Like yeah. somehow I'm, I'm getting away with blending in looking like myself, but not being myself. Yeah. Where there, where there, uh, well, there's the fourth, this fourth wall where it's like, you're only interacting with the other people you're on stage with. Yeah. So it's not the same as like being charismatic, charismatic guy at a party, you know, which I love. And I find myself frequently when, when I'm having an off run of shows frequently coming back to reminding myself about the fourth wall and reminding myself to just think of the audience as a fly on the wall. Mm. I think that that's something that I kind of get off on when I'm improvising the sense that I'm being overheard rather than performing for people. This is a variable. This isn't true all the time. There are times when I I like showing off and just kind of putting it all out there, but there's something I find this is so creepy, but I find like uh, a seductive feeling about like, I'm just going to kind of like be living in this person's skin and relating to this other person on stage and, and the people in the audience are going to have to try to kind of lean forward to, it's like listening through a wall yeah. at your neighbors talking. I like that feeling a lot. And whenever I remind myself of that, it gets my attention off of the results I'm looking for in, in, in the audience's approval of me. Mm. And, and it has me just kind of focused entirely on performing for the other people on stage. I love that feeling. I really, yeah, that does it for me. Mm. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know if I, feel that way. I think I'm more of like, I feel more connected to the audience and I feel more like I, like I owe them something when I'm stepping on stage. Like, you know, you, you paid to be here. Like I'm going to do my best to make you laugh, but I feel like I've learned, you know, over a period of time that like the way to do that is to do what you're doing. Um, but I always, yeah, I know, I know a lot of performers that like after a show, I'll be like, that went great. And they'll be like, I didn't notice. Like I couldn't tell if the audience was even laughing or not. And I'm like, I am very aware of what is going, is what's going on in the audience and like what they're picking up on and what they're not. Well, let me, let me say, I, that doesn't mean I'm not aware of of the, like I'm I'm very aware that the audience is enjoying or not enjoying (laughs) a performance, but it's kind of a difference. It's like a mental toggle for me of whether I'm directing my performance at Mm. the result of getting people to laugh or whether I'm directing my performance at the result of getting my partner to smile or getting my partner to come over and sit next to me or like little tiny tasks like that, that tend to result in the audience laughing, uh, 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 make it easier for me to continue playing. Whereas when I'm, when I'm prioritizing, if the audience is laughing, if I'm making that my goal, that's where I tend to feel kind of like, like I'm phoning it in or I'm doing less than I'm able to do. I feel like that's more how I'll play it at the beginning of a scene or Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show where it's more like, I, I I'm trying to come out now and not like have the first line be wacky and hilarious and get a huge response. Like kind of just go out and relax and connect with, your partner and and work together to build something and then once it starts like hitting and you're making moves then I become a little more aware of the audience and then it starts to like it's like a, a curtain where it's like closed at first mm-hmm. um and I'm not doing this sh- I'm not necessarily doing the show for the audience it's just me and you know the people on the team and then slowly it starts to open up and by the end of the show like the audience is fully there and we're just playing and doing it to them yeah I have I go back and forth a lot on this because uh, on the one hand, I think if you're doing a Herald, uh, 
a piece of advice that I really like is from the movie Hoosiers, uh, uh, which otherwise I think is not a great movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, Gene Hackman at one point gives the advice to the team that he wants everyone to pass the ball. Everyone passes the ball back. I forget exactly what it is, but everyone has to pass the ball to everyone else on the team at least once before anybody goes to score a point. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I feel that way about a Harold. When you're hitting the stage with a Harold, I, I do kind of feel like you're aiming for the long game. Yeah. You're aiming to have people really excited by the end of the show. And so if you, out of the gate, are trying to be really aggressive or trying to score points with the audience, you're, you're going to end up probably doing that and sacrificing uh, their trust that you're capable of just working together really basically as a team yeah. and, and doing the basic unsexy things in a show. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the point of a Herald is is eight people coming together and by the end creating something that was not just done by one person. Totally. The flip side to it, though, is you can end up sometimes making very flat choices at the mm-hmm. top and you can end up losing an audience's trust that you're going to be entertaining them. Yeah. And that, for me in particular, I'm sensitive to because that's a fine line I, I walk. It is, yeah. it's hard. It's hard, and I think... I always just try to go back to, to specificity and being like, if I, I, I can be like a normal, not super interesting, you know, crazy guy person, but I'm, I'm going to be a specific one. Yeah. And I think there's always something, there's always something in that. Like I like feeling like if things aren't working, I can go back to this character that I, I know who they are and they feel real. And at least the audience is feeling like they're seeing something as opposed to just a flat person that's not that's not making any choices and when you're playing too close to yourself i think that's the major danger of it it is major danger it's pretty funny it was funny (laughs) uh totally impromptu completely extemporaneous it's that sounds like a a hilarious movie i think actually major danger i think is a character on something uh Maybe like a G.I. Joe character or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I, Sounds, know. I, I like it. I do like it. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the big danger when you're playing too close to yourself too consistently is you end up playing the neutral version of yourself. Yeah. You're kind of flying so close to yourself that you can't really make out anything specific. And so you never really have a sense of any of the triggers in this character's mind. You don't know what's going to be setting somebody off. You have no no guide as to what to expect about their behavior, what makes this behavior delightful and surprising. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, it's lifelike, but it, it's capturing the kind of boring, shitty lifelike. Yeah, part. and that that to me, it sounds just like a character or a person with like no opinions about anything. Exactly. And it's like, I, you know, be a person with an opinion and, and talk about it, and that's that'll make something happen. What... When you're making choices on the fly to be really specific, when you're improvising, mm-hmm. uh, um, what kind of choices are you going to? Uh, and the, the reason is because, you know, you tell people all the time to be specific. Um, but sometimes that's one of those words that becomes sort of overanalyzed mm. and, and you can end up thinking it to death and then not really having a sense of how to be specific. So, yeah. so what for you when, when you're making yourself feel lifelike and specific what are what are some kinds of choices that you'll make on the fly for yourself I think I think the big thing I'll I'll start to do is just thinking about the environment because I think for myself it's it's really easy for me to just be in a world that is like you know two inches outside of where my body is and not be exploring the space Mm -hmm. so something I'll do when I feel like uh, I'm playing a character that's not really going anywhere or not giving anything to my partner is I'll be like okay well where are we 
we're in, uh, you know, we're in the living room. All right. What's in the living room? There's a, there's the remote control over there. You know, what do I do with the remote control? I watch, uh, empire. I don't watch empire and I'll talk about empire. Uh, what about when you're doing written material? That's, that's a little different. What I think the, the harder thing about that is like when I'm thinking of specifics, how I'll really take some time to try and think of like what the funniest specific could be. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a weird comedic science to that, that it's like, you just have to, it's almost like you're improvising with yourself for however long. I usually try not to do it for more than like 15 minutes of just thinking of like, what do I think? What, like, if I was in a scene with someone and they said this, like, what would make me laugh the most? Like, mm-hmm. what's specific? Um, like in one of one of my pieces, it turns out it's Papa John's. That's the funny specific. So, so that is a funny specific. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so walk me through this. So, so then you're at home and you're writing a scene, and you'll kind of put yourself in multiple different points of view throughout that scene. Like you'll kind of step out the scene and as if you're an audience member watching it. Yeah. As a, yeah. As if I'm an audience member or someone or someone like improvise as, as if I'm this character's partner on stage mm-hmm. improvising with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do you have a preference between performing or writing? Uh, probably, probably performing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, um, I like, I I like performing my writing that always feels, that's like a very, uh, unique satisfaction of feeling like, Oh, I took the time to write this out. And it's scary because I'm like really doubling down and writing this on paper and performing it for you. So whenever that goes well, it's always like, that feels really nice. Like I worked hard on this and it's, it's working out. Um, but I, yeah, I like, I like, I like performing better. I think writing can be, uh, when I'm doing it a lot, it's, it's just hard. It's just hard to like, not get too in my head about it and not overthink ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I have a lot of trouble, uh, just overthinking something and like, I'll have like a simple idea and it's like funny. And then I'm, I'm thinking about it too much and it suddenly becomes like daunting and not funny. Right. That's, I mean, the whole, the whole fun of getting to be on a stage is that you have to pull the trigger right now. Yeah. Whatever the consequences of it. And you have to own, whatever happens from there and go with it. And suddenly when you don't have an audience in front of you, uh, uh, kind of forcing that pressure on you, it's the easiest, easiest thing in the world to talk yourself out of every choice. And, and, and then that from there, it's the quickest, uh, backslide into doubting your instincts and Mm. doubting your abilities. It's, it's the, the writer's form of hell. (laughs) Yeah. It's been, um, I I really only started like writing like so like solo stuff uh for myself and doing solo characters over the past like 6 or 7 months mm-hmm. and that's been a really different cuz like when you're on a sketch team and you're working with other people you can bring in like a pitch or you bring in a sketch and you get feedback and then you rewrite it and that feedback helps so much but when you're when you're kind of writing something by yourself it's like well this is this is harder and this is me really like, again, like it's doubling down on like what I'm saying, like, this is what I think is funny. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's hard about, about sketch or improv is it's a really vulnerable thing of being like, I think this is funny and I hope you do too. And if you don't, that's, you know, that's going to feel bad for me because I think this is funny and you don't. Uh, uh, what a feeling when you're up there sharing something and people just aren't responding to it. Like when it's improv, you can walk away and, and you feel, bummed out 
and you get a drink with your team and who cares? Yeah, you get over a little faster. But when, when there's that contract with the audience that like, I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> I think this yeah. is really funny and it's just crickets <laughs> out there, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like being on a, just a horrible date that, uh, uh, you still have like three courses of the meal to go. Yeah. It's like, a. I, I've, I've done, God, I've done some like characters and stuff that have just bombed and it's just like, you're standing on stage and it's like, you're, you're just standing there naked and people are like, no, I don't, I don't like this. What, what is a character that's bombed that you really love that just didn't get the response you wanted? Um, I, I did a, I have a character that I think it was really, it was particularly bad because I had performed it before and it had done well, mm -hmm. but I think there's also this weird line of like, if you perform something like too much, you kind of lose the joy from it mm -hmm. and it becomes mechanical and not as fun. But I, and I think that's what happened. And also like, maybe I probably just did it shitty that night, but it's a character that, um, she, she's at a, a work retreat, uh, for like, you know, like team building exercises and stuff. And they're, they're asked to like, you know, share something personal and like just put together a little presentation about like some, you know, something difficult they went through. Um, and everyone else there did like really serious stuff, like talked about like parent, you know, a parent dying or something like that. And she put together a, a song and a skit about how she has light eczema mm -hmm. and she does like a little skit and a rap about it. Uh, and at the end she's just like, I am embarrassed. Uh, and it just, I, I was just like on stage dancing and rapping about light eczema to nothing. And it felt not great. <laughs> what was the core of that idea? Like what was the initial thing about that that made you want to write that? I, I did, um, I did a, uh, a workshop, uh, a while ago where we were kind of asked, it was something similar to that. It was an improv workshop, but, uh, they kind of wanted to get to like, like serious, like darker stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were like in a circle and we had to, uh, like kind of step into the circle and like face someone in the circle and the person leading it would ask a question and you had to answer and they kind of got like darker and darker and people were, were opening up just about, just about like darker, like kind of heavy stuff. And I was just in a place where I was like, I'm like here in Pennsylvania, like to do my goofs and like be silly. And, and people are talking about like, really heavy things. And I was just like, I was just not in a space at the time where I wanted to like talk about my insecurities mm -hmm. or, or whatever. So it kind of came from that place of juxtaposition of like everyone taking something deeply seriously. And then someone else being like, I am not like, I wanted to talk about how my eggs didn't work out this morning. And yeah. you're talking about how you're, you don't love your son. Yeah. So, um, it's a fucking bummer when like I've done those workshops too. And, and like I, I, I encourage the stuff in classes sometimes as well. Uh, uh, but when you're like trying to get people to like open up about like insecurities or fears and stuff like that, there actually comes a point where it's like, Oh, I'm so bored hearing about your insecurities and <laughs> yeah. fears. Like yeah. it, it, there is a thing of like, yeah, we all have them and there's nothing we're going to do that's going to stop them. And there actually is something that the more you obsess over trying to make them important, like that, that to me is like, I love when people take the risk of being vulnerable in a performance or vulnerable in, in a, in a piece of written material. And you can just like sense when something's really honest and really true. Yeah. But when you kind of put someone on the spot to craft material out of their own deepest fears, you, you do this thing where immediately you place an importance on that fear and you'll hear stuff like that where it's like, I don't love my son. 
And, and you know, like, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> yeah. You're probably right yeah. now just turning this into, like, dramatic material. A that bigger can be thing. Mine. And yeah. it's like, that to me is the most obnoxious thing. And I, I'm, I'm sensitive to it because I do it all the time myself. I'm, I'm prone to, like, falling into this habit of, like, making yourself more important or more um, profound than you really are. Yeah. Uh, it's also, like, I just wasn't... There were like two workshops that day and most of the people in the class had also done the one before mm-hmm. and had done that exercise previously. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people were doing this for the second time and mm-hmm. I think they were like digging deeper. The pump had been primed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah they were ready to, to really start sharing the, the meat and potatoes. And I, I, I just like came in and I was like, oh, you know, the continental breakfast had waffles and yeah. I was so excited and I was ready to, to do some improv and I, I had misunderstood the workshop. I thought that, um, it was, it was called the, uh, it was, I thought it was going to be about, um, being learning to like deal with like, uh, kind of offensive or, or like risky topics mm-hmm. on stage. Like I thought I was, it was going to be like, Oh, I can learn to like play a racist character without being incredibly uncomfortable and feeling like I'm really offending people, but it was, it was about like talking about your demons and I just wasn't expecting that or ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. They had, um, they had cinnamon waffle batter at that, uh, at that hotel. It was really good. It was like a really, it was really, really good. I just was so not in a space to do that that day. Well, I, I, part of like what is funny to me is the way that like uh, like I'll gloss over some of my darker shit inside in real life, yeah. and the stuff that is really upsetting to me will be like fucking up the eggs, for example, will drive mm. you fucking crazy. Or like, I, I, it's funny to me that the stuff that really brings out my evil side are usually so petty like and nothing. I, I was on the train yesterday and uh just for whatever reason like i wasn't feeling great and i was just looking around at everybody's face on the train (laughs) and just thinking to every single person like i hate you (laughs) and then specifically what i hate about everybody i don't know anybody on this train but like i was in a bad mood and there were just like one too many people on the train and nobody did anything and it was so rotten and there's no like dark demon inside of me that's worth exploring it's just like oh that's where my hatred and my evil (laughs) Out. And yeah. I, I, in retrospect, I find that stuff so much funnier and so much like richer to mine for material than forcing yourself to be interesting. Yeah, because and because and there's like a really serious truth to that kind of thing. I mean, everyone experiences that. I have I'll sit on the train and like fantasize about like cur- someday cursing people off for their you know offensive behavior because um, it's something I think that everyone experiences. But there's like a funny thing about that it's funny because it's so hateful and so real but it's such small like those people weren't even doing anything like there's that's comedy there's funny in there there's not you know funny in some of like the really dark stuff that feels really serious that's kind of like you know you can talk about that with like your therapist like do that and there's a place for that too for sure and and there's a context that you can create where you can make that a really rewarding experience or a really cathartic experience Absolutely. in a funny context yeah. too. Um, to, to me, the problem becomes when you're, as soon as you ask someone to dig deep, they then delegate a level of importance to that stuff that may not actually be authentic. Yeah. It's when there is an authentic level of importance to it and you're prepared to deal with it comically that I think that can work. Yeah. But when you're forcing people to frame themselves as being, as being interesting, yeah, that's when I think you start getting this kind of artificial 
kind of feeling sorry for yourself kind of comedy that I, is so like yeah. horrible. I, I, I particularly enjoy when my mental radar goes off on a train where I'm annoyed at everybody and I can immediately point out criticisms I have of every single stranger <laughs> on the train. That person has to move their bag. That person is wearing stupid glasses. That person shouldn't be eating food. And to me, what becomes so funny about that is like, clearly it's just like, I'm feeling shitty inside and I'm just projecting all those feelings onto everybody and making them all monsters that I can hate yeah. to not have. To me, that stuff is way funnier than like, I don't love my mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. Um, uh, one thing that um, I did want to talk about uh, you're an incredibly diverse writer performer. You do a lot and a lot of different stuff, which I really respect. And, and like you're you individually. And also you seem to be part of kind of a generation of performers who really have their shit together mm-hmm. and, and like know how to cut a path in this world and, and are like diversifying your ability to do comedy. So, so you're a great solo performer. You're an amazing singer. You're a great improviser. You're a great sketch performer. You also do comedy sports. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is that like? Um, comedy sports is really, it was kind of my, f- uh, like doing short form is something I did uh, while I was learning long form. Um, so it's a nice, what I like about it is the the crowd you're getting for comedy sports is more of like a, a bridge and tunnel crowd. Like you're not getting... Um, like students or other performers or people that really know exactly what to expect. So it's, you learn quickly how to make anyone laugh, you know, not just, not just people that understand improv or not just people that have been to improv shows before. So a lot of people that go to comedy sports are kind of seeing improv or seeing a comedy show for the first time. So there's something really uh, rewarding about learning how to perform for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like if you, I think short form can be really hard. And I know that there's, kind of, I think there's kind of a stigma of like long form is a lot more difficult than short form. And I think they're, they're very different. Um, but I, you know, sometimes when I'm doing short form, I'm like, I'm doing terrible. Mm-hmm. And I did a great Herald this week, but I cannot make, you know, fresh choice work right now. Yeah. I'm just, it's just not working. Yeah. And it's so much like, I hate fresh choice. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's, it can be, they can be hard. And yeah. like, if it's not working, it's really not working. And there's not, it's not like you can go back to like doing an activity or doing something. Like, I think there are little tricks in long form to like go back and reset yourself and start building up again. And that's not really short form. It just goes by so fast that that's not really possible. If if a game bombs, it kind of bombs. Um, but it's, it was a nice thing for me to learn how to like go out and set up a scene really well to start playing whatever game we're playing. Mm -hmm. Like it was a good way for me to learn how to like step out and like know who I am and know where I am and, and all that base reality stuff. You, you have to learn to be a professional when you're doing short form. Yeah. If you want to do good short form, you you have to have a professional attitude towards improv, which I more and more these days I'm, I'm, I'm finding is like at the forefront of my brain of, of like, uh, um, you have to learn how to, how to, change your hats really quickly yeah. and you have to learn to attend to the needs of a particular show really quickly. And, and there is something in the same way as it's really great in a sketch show to be thinking very left brain about the next six things that have to happen and then immediately go very right brain and 
be this character. There's something really kind of exciting about like mapping out the running order of a show and knowing that like, okay, I got to kind of warm up the joke telling part of my brain for innuendo. And then I have to warm up the emotional part of my brain in three minutes to get into new choice or, you know, and that it's more about the doing of it than the being precious about it. It's less about being an artist and more about, I have a job to execute right now. Yeah. There's something like, there's something so thrilling about having your brain work that quickly and just jostle back and forth. Yeah. You know, um, it's like a high, it's kind of a high pressure situation because there's not a lot of time to, to really build anything. Like you need to make it happen right now. Yeah. And it's just a different, it's a different skill set than doing long form. And it, I appreciate that and feeling like, well, when I do do long form, I feel like I can step out and like know what I'm doing or know that like, you know, if something needs to happen now, I can use that part of my brain and be like, like if a scene's not working and a walk on needs to happen, I feel like my short form brain will kick in of just like hyper speed of like what, like what's a walk on that can like help this or what's a character that can come in here and like maybe open things up or, or give this character something more to do. Yeah. The, I would say in the times that I've done short form, the number one thing in my mind has let, it's less about what, to do and more about now. I'd say like the the word if what what do you, what do you call those like things where they're like word clouds like they show you like the the, the words that you that you use more often than not like oh, on Facebook, Facebook or whatever. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. In my mental word cloud thing when I'm when I'm doing short form, the word now is probably the biggest the word. The big one, yeah. And it has more to do with the timing than anything else. That's something that I found so exciting about short form when I when I when I finally got off my ass and learned how to do some of it was it's more important that you're doing it now and feeling that instinct of like, walk on now. Yeah. Say anything. Yeah. Walk on now. Yeah. That breaks some of the preciousness that you can learn sometimes because long form does have a couple of outs to it because the construct of long form is you're investing in these characters and the comedy is coming out of being familiar with their points of view and, 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 and feeding those points of view with very particular situations and seeing how these characters are going to respond it means that you have the opportunity to invest in learning more about these characters. Yeah. So you have a little bit of an out where if you don't know a funny thing to do, you can always drink your coffee, which is always my out in a scene. Yeah. Taste the coffee, go to sense memory for like three minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people will go along with it because they know that this, the time you're, you're taking to invest in this is invariably going to pay off in yeah. a new discover about this character. But you can get lazy and addicted to that. And you can get addicted to not having to be funny. Yeah. And, and like and, really slow play. Which is a fear-based thing mm. or, or a lazy-based thing. It's a thing of you're not being specific. You're not really making choices. And you can get addicted to calling it playing slow. When it's not really playing slow. Yeah. It's just not really getting around to making any choices and pulling that trigger and having to commit yourself to a course of action. It's keeping that neutral ground the entire time. Again, I'm I'm being very like vociferous about this right now because I'm I'm a very guilty party when it comes to this. Stuff. So in short form, there's that awesome thing of like I can't just drink coffee for three minutes. People yeah. are going to walk out on me if I do that. Mm-hmm. I have to do something right now. It's yeah. a very very exciting thing. It is, and I think I I too more gravitate towards um wanting a little bit of slower play or like wanting to like 
you know, like lay back and see what's happening in a scene and then walk on and add to it as opposed to just like going out and being there. Uh, so it's, it's been helpful for me, that immediacy of like, you're on stage and it's like, they have a small, it's a small stage that they play on. Like it's, you're very close to the audience and there's just this immediacy that's like, we've got 90 minutes and these people are paying for it. Like, let's, let's make the laughs happen. Yeah. Are you getting like, um, what kind of groups are you getting? You said bridge and tunnel crowd. Are you getting like like package deals like are our large group like offices are coming in to see you guys play or it, it varies not really offices but sometimes like like you know a bunch of high school kids from toronto are here like we've got 30 of them and you know that'll be a thing or sometimes like a birthday party will come uh but then other times it's just like our our uh like people on the street just handing out flyers and stuff mm-hmm. how often do you play um, I am, I'm taking a, a little break for them right now. I haven't played in like a, a couple months, but when I was playing a lot, I was usually doing like two, one to two shows a month. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, I've only ever seen comedy sports at festivals. Hmm. How does the sporting construct to it work for you? Like it, it does it, in your, in your experience, does it enhance things and make it more fun or is it, uh, uh, um, like a, a block that you have to overcome? Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm really competitive. So yeah. having, that kind of framing for it like really works for me and makes me feel like, okay, well they just did a really good scene and I want to win this round. So like we have to do a great scene. Like it always keeps me kind of on my A game. Um, and it, I think it helps a lot for the audience to put a context as to what's going on of, of putting like putting it in sports and making it feel like, Oh, we're voting, we're involved. We're giving the suggestions. Like it makes them feel more a part of it. Yeah. And also like, you know, people that have never seen comedy, it gives them an easy access point of like, Oh, this is like a game. I understand games. Cause it's, it's, I think it's not easy for people to immediately understand what's going on in improv. Which is kind of on us as improvisers, right? Yeah. I think that's one thing that long form improvisers are guilty of not, um, being aware of or not putting enough thought into uh, making it an experience that an unfamiliar audience will be comfortable watching. Yeah. It, it, sometimes you'll watch a show and people are laughing, but you look around at people who who are, are not already part of the crowd and they seem kind of baffled yeah. by stuff. They don't, you know, and, and there are certain basic things that we just kind of failed to explain to them beforehand. And that always seems to me like smug on our part. Mm. And there is kind of something, long-form improvisers, I think this is less true now than it was when I was first coming up, but it used to be people had a real shit attitude to like comedy sports, for example. Yeah. And it was considered like really hokey and whatnot. But there's something really smart in that you're providing a safe context for people to understand what they're supposed to be enjoying and they know how they're supposed to participate and they know what they're watching. Um, And again, it's just, it's a professionalism. it's It's an awareness of putting up a piece of, uh, comedy as entertainment. Yeah. Instead of comedy, sometimes long form can feel kind of self-indulgent. For sure. And like, that's what I was, was talking about is like playing to those bridge and tunnel people. Like it's just, it's just a very different experience and they're, they laugh at different stuff and they respond to things that, you know, people on a Wednesday night at magnet are not going to respond to. And then like, I'll do something that I would do, Wednesday night at Magnet, a megawatt, and bridge and tunnel people are going to be like, "What? What the hell is that? Like, yeah. that's not funny to me. You're being really weird." Yeah. So it's it's a balancing act. I think it's important, like as a performer, to try and be be able to play to diverse crowds as well. Yeah. 
That being said, now now that I've just shit all over long form, <laughs> I do want to say when I was on the ship, I, I hit a point where I was so looking forward to coming back and playing with the boss again, mm-hmm. specifically so that I could drink a cup of coffee for three minutes on stage oh, yeah. and have people get off my back about <laughs> it. When I, when I am being specific on stage, um, a, a lot of times I find that it's not even so much in what I'm doing as in what I'm thinking. A lot of times my characters that I think will come across as way more specific are thinking very specific things that I just happen to not really be talking about. But I think on good nights you can sense that there's something going on in this character. It's not just like, it's not just random or flat. And I, that's an opportunity you don't have in short form to let people, when people begin to understand your character, this is probably my favorite trick to pull off in a show when people understand your character and relate to your character and are invested in your character, you can get away with thinking as that character and not explaining what you're thinking and have people see through you into your mind and follow along. Yeah. And that to me is so, that's when it feels like I'm doing something theatrical and mm. really exciting. And that's where I feel like I'm hiding and totally visible at the same time. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm playing this pretend version of myself. I'm not showing off but everybody is so curious about what i'm thinking right now that's when i feel like ah great i'm yeah. owning the room you know and that's that to me that's something that you can only really get in a long form setting yeah there's just not time there's it's just, just not time. there's just no time in short form to really create like every once in a while you'll kind of stumble upon a really rich character like there's oh what's the one good advice bad advice mm-hmm. which is a very like character based game you kind of get some room to do that but for the most part like it's about whatever game is being played so much more than it is about the characters. Like it's about you being fast and you doing it now, as opposed to like you doing it now as this like businessman. That's just so smarmy. The point is being able to be comfortable doing both of those things, I think makes you a professional comedian. Yeah. Being able to be invested in a character and have people be surprised by how you grow and change over the course of a show. And at the same time, being able to recognize that, okay, right now I have to pull a trigger now and not be the sensitive artist that I am. Yeah. And I just have to go for the good fart joke right yeah. this second. I think that that makes you a responsible and, and conscious performer. Yeah. People who are afraid to invest in character can kind of carry that like, uh, hokey quality around with them mm. and people who are afraid to just play the goddamn games yeah. can carry this sort of soft quality. It, it, what it boils down to is you don't want to be stuck only doing the things that you know you're good at. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I think that's what I'm mostly striving to do in like in doing comedy in general is like, you know, being able to play as many characters as possible, being able to play multiple styles. Like my, I think my ultimate goal, uh, in comedy outside of like career stuff is really to be able to step into any kind of show and be successful and, you know, myself do well and then help the people around me as well and work with them. Mm -hmm. Like that is just, I feel like always in the back of my head of like, this is hard and you're not good at it. Do it more Mm -hmm. like be, get good at this. With that in mind, you and uh, Ari are taking over Jen and Lauren Presents. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is, a, for anyone listening uh, 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 who has not seen that show or done that show, I think that's a wonderful opportunity to push yourself in exactly the direction that you're talking about right now. So, so, so yeah, let's talk about that. Sure. Oh, I'm so, I'm really excited. So it's, uh, 
it's going to be so the final Jan and Lauren is happening uh, tomorrow. Uh, and L- long but this after is you long will have after, heard this podcast, long after this airs, I hope you went and enjoyed it. Reflect, okay. Um, so in March we're taking over, uh, and we're re- we're really excited. I think we're gonna maybe the first show will be more like Janet and Lauren, but we're also going to try to push to maybe do more themed shows, Mm -hmm. like do something like do some kind of theme and everyone plays within that. So the shows feel a little more cohesive. Um, but I've just, I've just gotten so into doing solo characters and, and seeing that. And I've done JNL and I, I think it's such a good show and such a good showcase for Magnet's performers. And I'm just excited to take it over with Ari and see what it can become. What, um, how can people be part of the show? And for people who want to push themselves and want to get better, but don't know exactly where to start, what advice would you give to them to, to, to be able to participate and to be able to start creating stuff for themselves. Yeah. So something, um, Ari and I talked about and we want to start doing is, um, maybe setting up some kind of program where we will, you know, like if there's someone taking a sketch class right now that, that really wants to put a character up at the show, like they can contact us, um, like through our email or through Facebook, or if they see us talk to us and we will work with them to help put a piece up, you know, like we'll give them notes or we'll do like a rehearsal with them to try and get more people, like a more diverse crowd doing the show. Um, we also want to do things where we like contact writers. Like JNL did a show where they paired writers with performers. Mm-hmm. Like they cast a team of writers and they were like, pick a performer, write for them. And I, it was one of my favorite shows I did. So I would love to do more stuff like that. So we're getting people like maybe pulling from, you know, megawatt or getting sketch actors that aren't writers and, and having them perform other people like maybe students pieces or, or something like that. Just pulling from, from groups and not just pulling from the same crowd. Yeah. Uh, uh, you also have another show coming up uh, with uh, Peter and Ilana. Mm-hmm. Peter McNerney. Yeah. Ilana Fishbein. Yeah. Elena Scopettos. There it is. What a trio. <laughs> what is that going to be? Um, so that's going to be, we, we've been working on it for, for a while now. So it's me and Ilana performing and Peter directing. Um, and it's like the, are you familiar with his Saxon Dixon shows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like that. So basically, uh, he'll he the way the process works is he kind of gives us a prompt and we improvise and you know he picks out what he likes and gives us notes and we move it in a a direction that he wants to take it uh, and that we want to take it it's it's really collaborative Um, but essentially it's going to be like kind of a theatrical piece uh, that was built through improv but it's gonna by the end it'll basically be scripted although we're not like really writing things out as a like we won't have a physical script at the end of it we'll just know it because mm-hmm. we've run it so much um, but it's gonna be a piece that just explores like a lot of different characters it's just like multi multiple characters in the same world and just exploring their relationships mm-hmm. when is that gonna be going up uh, April or May. Cool. Awesome. Check for the website for that to be coming up. Uh, uh, and you are, uh, four or five months into your megawatt team now? Uh, yeah, I think about four months. How's that experience for you? It's good. It's good. It's, um, it's, it's scary. I didn't think I would be so, uh, like nervous about megawatt or as, uh, intimidated by it, yeah. but it, it definitely has been, you know, to start, I was a lot more tense and nervous than I thought I would be. But, you know, the past few months have been really good and we're really starting to to gel as a team. And I, I just I love everyone on the team and I really enjoy working with them. From your perspective as a newer megawatt performer, uh, 
um, what advice do you think you would give to somebody currently in level six looking towards the show for what the experience is going to be like for them and also for, for th- tangible things that they can focus on to improve the experience or make themselves uh, like set wh- themselves up to like to, while they're on megawatt. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause I've, I have, I find when you're in level six, you aim for megawatt. And, and even if you're saying to yourself that it's not a big deal, um, there's a tangible mental shift that happens when you make that team. Yeah. And sometimes people know exactly why they feel that way. And sometimes it, you're just at a loss, but suddenly it feels so much scarier than you thought it was going to feel, or it's not the thing that you thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, so how could people adjust the way that they're thinking from your experience as a newer member of the show yeah. to, to make it more um, digestible or easier for them? I think, I think the, big thing up top is that it's it's going to be really different from your level six team because your level six team is you're working with these people for like three months you have six weeks of classes with them and then you're performing for eight weeks with them as a team rehearsing every week and performing and you become really close and you know how each other work and you, you the level six shows are so fun and it's such a supportive crowd and it's just like it's a good time. And then you're on megawatt. And for me, it was like, I don't know a lot of these people on my team. Like, and I'm not as I'm not comfortable playing with them because I've never played. I, I think I'd only played with, um, Sneed on bloom. So I was, and I, I, that was still a show that's not the same as doing like a Herald or a slacker like we started with. Um, so I, it was very jarring to work with, you know, just suddenly be working every week with people I hadn't worked with before. Um, so I would say like, expect, expect to not be super comfortable for a while and know that that's okay. Like know that no one's expecting you as a megawatt team to go out and like crush it from the start, that it's a process that's going to take time to like become friends with your team and, and trust them and learn how people work and learn how you, you need to work to make yourself comfortable on stage. I just think for like my experience was, I just wasn't I'm used to be, being comfortable on stage and I just wasn't for the first few months. And mm-hmm. it just took me some time to kind of like relax and really ease into the team. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an interesting, uh, uh, you kind of have time in megawatt and you don't have time. Yeah. And, and you can be hyper aware that you're up for evaluation in three months and you can be hyper aware that there's going to be a mix up in six months. And so you can kind of feel this pressure to like, Gotta, gotta blow it out of every, the water yeah, every right show every time. Gotta be very good. But you actually like. I think it's worth it to be in the mindset of of taking advantage of the fact that you have time to grow as a team. Yeah, that small victories count way more in the long run than than big highs and and very kind of low lows. Yeah, um, and that's one thing that I love about that show is you have to take your time to grow in it, which I I think for a lot of people just joining it, you kind of feel, uh, it feels like every team just happens immediately kind of. And I, I got that because I watched Mango out for a long time as an audience member. And that's what it always felt like to me was that, Oh, these teams just happen. And it's like, that's, that's it. You know, it's, you don't realize that there's this whole process behind it, all this stuff happening at rehearsal. Like I look forward to our rehearsals so much because we work on so many things that we then bring to the show that week. And it's, it's those tiny victories of like, Oh, we were all on board up top on the group game. Yeah. Awesome. Everyone. Yeah. Like that's something to be really happy about. Yeah. Really quick. I want to switch gears and talk about another show. Uh, uh, 
that has bonded enormously well and that does an incredible job of setting up context for for audiences unfamiliar with improv to come and and have a wonderful time the cast on saturday nights <laughs> which uh my compliments to all of you guys it's an amazing show that's really taking off i'm glad you like it um i have my own theories about it but what is the secret to your success oh my goodness i i think i, I think it's it's the people in the show and how i mean everyone i i could probably spend multiple hours talking about just one individual member of the cast and and how wonderful I think they are. I think everyone in the show individually is very good. And I also think everyone in the show is a very respectful, thoughtful, kind improviser. And that makes, it, it was just one of those experiences that from the start, it was very easy to perform with everyone in the show and just like be making choices and people were supporting it. And there was no it felt like the only learning curve was just like the genres and mm-hmm. learning how like, oh, well, in this genre, we needed to focus on that and we just didn't know. Um, but just in terms of working with each other, it was just so, so easy because everyone's so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is Hannah Chase. Yeah. I mean, she is a phenomenal director and her her like support and love and intelligence is in every rehearsal and every you know, before every show, after every show and notes. And she just has created an environment where we're all just so happy to be a part of it and mm-hmm. happy to do it every week. Um, and that, I think that shows on stage. Uh, uh, be kind, you assholes listening to this. Yeah. Kindness goes for a lot. And it's an easy lesson to forget. Yeah. It's so nice to be around kind people who are good at what they do. I uh, one other thing I would add to what you just said that I, I think students frequently talk about in your guys' shows, um, uh, it, it's kind of awesome the way that you guys risk it every single time you get up there. It, it, like, There's something about at the beginning of the week deciding on, on what you're going to do and then, and then rehearsing an experimental show or learning dance or learning to do yeah. musical improv, a crash course with... with with Lutton or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's something really exciting about the way that you guys do kind of walk a tightrope together. So that combination, and this is what like plays to me when I, when I see the show, that combination of like total love for each other and enthusiasm for each other with the fact that you're not playing it safe when you're doing that show. There's the genuine risk of kind of, you don't, yeah, you gotta have to put it. it. It leads to a show that's kind of uniquely exciting to watch every every week, and that's I think that's what I like about it the most is that it's not. I think with this with this group of performers, it would be really easy after you know a month of being like, all right, well, we're comfortable, we know each other, and you know everyone's good at improv, and, and we're gonna we're gonna do the thing that we do. We're well. gonna do the thing we do, and that's we're all set. Yeah. It's gonna be great. But it's I am like. I'm scared every week. Like I'm, I am legitimately always scared of that show. And especially because, because everyone's good and I know they're going to be good. And it's like, I'm not familiar with this genre. Like when this, this will air next Wednesday. So it'll be, uh, so coming up is our not Hamilton show Mm -hmm. that where we're going to get like a historical figure and try to do Hamilton. It's like, that's, it's all rapping. And that is the, like the farthest from my comfort zone I could imagine Beside that and like dance. So like I'm scared to do it, but we're just going to do it. It's this like thing where, you know, some shows, some people are more nervous than others. Some people are like, I 
I know what the genre is. Like I feel comfortable and ready to go. And I think that's good too. Yeah. Is there's always this mix of like, we're all kind of nervous. Some people are confident and we know we're going to lean on them. Some people are really nervous and we know that's going to create really exciting stuff in the show because people we're not doing something that we quite know what it's going to be or how we're going to do it which is what it's supposed to be right yeah yeah you guys end up kind of combining the best of both of those worlds in, in that sense of there is character development and there are characters that you that you can latch on to in the show but it also has that short form element of you guys are just having to play the game that you set up yeah and 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 you got to do it whether you're ready or not yeah whether you rap or not yeah oh my goodness yeah there are so many times I'm standing off stage while like a scene's going on and I'm like can feel that it like it's ready to go backstage or ready for like another scene to happen it's wrapping it's like wrapping up yeah and I'm just like I need to go out and start a new scene but I don't I don't know what it should be like an experimental. I was like, I don't know what the next scene should be, but I'm just going to go out there and stand and like say I'm a staff and something will happen because it has to happen because it has to happen. There's no choice. Like there's like everyone else is on stage. I need to get on stage and do something. And what it ends up doing is it means that you're playing the show from a very conscious place. Instead of playing the show, thinking about what you need to be doing for yourself, you're making moves that the show needs right now. And when you have a cast of people who are all paying attention to what the show needs right now, it, there's a level of kind of presence and thoughtfulness to everything that makes the show very exciting to watch because then you're watching, you know, six or seven or eight people being very conscious about how to keep this show varied and interesting and alive. And it makes it because there's a thing of, you make it very transparent about the risk that you guys are taking um, but you also have characters that we can latch on to, and, and, and there's a kind of through line to it. It's a totally accessible show. That's what I love about it is like anybody off the street could come in and enjoy the show yeah. on its own terms yeah. with loads and loads of pleasures for, for improv geeks such as ourselves <laughs> to also sit back and enjoy. It, yeah. it's, it's kind of this beautiful marriage that just shows off everybody's uh, wonderfulness. Yeah, I think I think that's true too, and it doesn't... The shows never, for me, feel um, feel like self indulgent. Like I ne- never feel like um, <clears throat> like I'm going to step out and like do you know do my Elena thing and crush it. it no. It's always just like I'm not like I think this will hit and I think this will be good to move like the play along and to move like the narrative we're trying to create along. Or I think this will be a good heightening of the backstage and bringing that world together. It's like, I, it's rarely feeling like, Oh, I need to go out. Like, I know what'll be very funny. I'll go out and do this. Mm -hmm. It's more like serving the show and trying to make it like, uh, like trying, we always try to make a good play. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important thing is we're really like not, we, we're not going out and being like, this is going to be bad and that's going to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's like we try really hard and then when it's bad, it's like that's very fu- funny because we are earnestly trying to do the best we can do. Elena Scopettis, thank you for talking. That's the, thank the you best for having me. A pleasure. <laughs> uh, you guys can see Elena on Wednesday nights by performing with Megawatt. What time are you guys locked in for this month? Nine. Nine o'clock. Uh, you can also, uh, the executives are coming back in next sketch yeah, season? Yeah, February 1st at 8.30 p.m. Fabulous. And uh, please uh, keep a look at, what's the show going to be called when uh, when you guys take over for John and Lauren? We're not sure yet. Fabulous. To be, yeah, to be determined. Check the Magnet website for that. Elena, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys for listening. 
listening, a couple of other huge thanks. First off, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, uh, to our producer, Evan Ford Barton, to our executive producer, Ed Herpsman, and to all of you wonderful people for listening to this podcast. We hope that you enjoy it. If you do, please give us a nice rating on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Uh, uh, I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Our guest has been Elena Skopedos. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye, bye, bye! You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.